Israel in some ways feels very similar. There's a lot of good, there's a lot of bad, and it's super complicated. And I have the same conclusion that I've had since high school. I believe Israel should exist and that all governments, U.S. government included, like we're all doing a lot of good and a lot of bad. And so it's certainly not as black and white. I guess what I was struck by the most is how she does go in with this very defined point of view. And I won't say that she did a 180 at all, but she definitely left shaken and acknowledging there are other points of view that she didn't consider. And I think she kind of leaves humbled. It wasn't like she had a massive epiphany, but it's just that over time, even as she was questioning things, even as she recognized things were propaganda, there was always sort of this question as to, well, why is that propaganda? Why has that been placed there? Second, please. Please, Mr. Kennedy. Oh, oh. I don't want to go. Don't show me in the outer space. Oh, please. please, Mr. Kennedy. Oh, oh. I don't want to go. Don't show me in the outer space. I sweat when they stop me in the pressure. Roman, have you ever taken your birthright Israel tour? I did not. And why not? Well, I'm not Jewish. Ah, yes. That would prevent you from doing it. Yes, it would. But why is there not a birthright India or a birthright China tour? That's what I want to know. Well, there's actually a Taiwanese love boat. I mean, that's not really China. It depends who you ask. But... It's one China, Ryan. It's one China. Yeah, it's just, a, it's just a minor detail or a major detail, depending on who you ask. <laughs> anyway, before you get too much off on that tangent, who did take their birthright Israel tour? Their cartoonist, Sarah Glidden. And what else she did? She chronicled it in her 2007 memoir, How to Understand Israel in 60 Days. Now, Glidden is Jewish and progressive, living in New York City when she departs on her tour. And she goes in with some preconceived notions and ends the tour, I, I wouldn't say with those notions shattered, but certainly she's far less definitive in her point of view. And using these rich, beautiful watercolors, Glidden details the day-to-day -day aspects of her tour, where she learns about Israel's history, but also can't help questioning what she's learning or the way in which that history is communicated. I'm Roman Segal. And I'm Ryan Joe. And we're two Asian Americans who are so uniquely unqualified to discuss somebody else's birthright tour, we're bringing back our favorite recurring Jewish guest. Our only recurring Jewish guest? The man who will shield us from potential cancellation, the one and only Jonathan Kreiner. Guys, I did not sign up for this. I'm just here to talk about the book. And all of your points of view about the Israel-Palestine conflict. Completely, <laughs> completely uncontroversial points of view. Wouldn't it be funny if Jonathan is the one who gets us canceled? Like, we bring him in as a shield, but she's the one who's the one who's like, no, guys, let's in all the arrows <laughs> instead. We'd have to have listeners to get canceled, Ryan. <laughs> that's that's true. Maybe 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 our, our one, maybe Auntie Pinky will just be like, no, guys, this is too much. And then that's that's it. <laughs> a bridge too far. You, you've already talked about the Palestinian conflict, the Khmer Rouge, Jeffrey Dahmer, the rise of fascism in 1930s Germany. And then this is yes. what this is what ends it all. <laughs> anyway. And genderqueer and genderqueer. Genderqueer. Yeah, we didn't get canceled for genderqueer, but nobody listened to our episode on genderqueer. So it's, it's the same thing. Actually, what is going to get us canceled? So because I'm a lazy podcaster, whenever we do like a topic driven episode like this, I occasionally will re-air it on modern minorities. So modern minorities re-airing of this oh. episode eventually is oh, going good. to get quarantine. Good, good. Yes. I can't I can't wait. 
Well, after this, just take me back to incest stories with Ayako. Let's do that next. <laughs> yes, I forgot. Jonathan, we always bring you in for like the happy family stories. <laughs> I'm here to help. All right. So as you alluded to, you've been on the show before and we've talked about the sort of comics you like, the pop culture you consume, the sort of family dramas that really you. <laughs> Did you ever go on your birthright tour and, and was your experience similar to Sarah Glidden's? More importantly, did you ride a camel? I'll start with Ramen with your... I did ride a camel. I did go on Birthright. I went in high school. So I think since kind of coming of age is both relatable and being young, but it's definitely a different life stage. But I went in high school, my junior year of high school, I did a trip called March of the Living, which was a week in Poland during Holocaust Remembrance and did all the concentration camps and then did a week or two in Israel during Israeli Independence Day and how the two come together. So I certainly can relate to Sarah's things are organized in a way to make you feel a certain way, but that was certainly an authentic experience at the same time. That's actually interesting because in the book, Sarah mentions there's the birthright tour that's just about outdoor activities. And she goes on the one that's more about Israeli history. And you went on the one that seems like it was really focused on the Holocaust, at least the first half of it. Yeah, I mean, it's a different type of trip. It's not technically birthright and birthright does is talking to your trip for a 26 year old or 27 year old who might be even though I did meet my current wife on my Israel trip which is crazy but they're wanting people to pair up on these trips and have and cater different interests but I was in high school so I think it's, it's a little different less interest based and more of trying to get people to go to Israel most people for the first time similar in all the synagogues are trying to get families to go to Israel together and do synagogue trips so you go together so I think they're technically different, but I think a lot of the experience, at least for me, was very similar to, to the book. What I've always found interesting, so I did not grow up really understanding Jewish culture, right? The Jewish culture in America growing up in the South and then the Midwest, but it wasn't until I got to New York that I really understood all the Seinfeld jokes made more sense, right? What I say sincerely is I didn't know birthright was a thing until I talked to my wife's best friend who who went. And at first I was like, wow, I wish I had that. Like, I wish all the diaspora could have that because as Americans. But what's interesting about Birthright is it's it's not a diaspora, right? It's like, I guess it's a Jewish diaspora, but it's not an Israeli diaspora. And it's this idea, something they talk about a little bit in the book is, yes, it's, I think it's, tell me what you think about this, John and Ryan. Is it to get people to more understand Israel's point of view in the world and or is it to recruit for what I think what's called Aliyah if I'm mispronouncing that like the, get people to move back to Israel get the Jews to come home so to speak like what what was your perception of the motivations for birthright John yeah I'd actually say it, neither of those more just to make sure that Jews who don't know Israel believe that it should exist Right. Mm -hmm. Because mm -hmm. Israel is a country that just depends on support politically, financially, mm -hmm. mentally, morally. Right. So I grew up where we had a Sadaka box. You give money. It was just to plant trees in Israel. So mm -hmm. it's just keeping Israel top of mind and making sure that Jews, American Jews, have a relationship with Israel and think that it should exist and want to defend mm -hmm. it. And I think we just find constantly that Israel does need to be defended in its right to exist. And I'll mm -hmm. also just go on record here that I'm not a bipartisan look at the Israeli-Palestinian <laughs> conflict. Like, I am very much on the Zionist camp. So if that gets me canceled, so be it. <laughs> I don't know. If, it it won't get you canceled. Be... It'll get us canceled. 
Because we're the platform. <laughs> what you're saying is Skechers won't be a sponsor, or Skechers will be a sponsor. Skechers will not, be a sponsor. Yeah, they're probably. owned by they're owned by a Jewish family. I heard they so, escorted well, Kanye right out the other that, day. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah, you probably should have read into that a little bit. <laughs> so I, my legit question is: so I know you went in high school on a somewhat different experience, but what from Glidden's kind of graphic narrative or graphic experience like rung true for you? Were there any? I mean, as a backpacker, as a traveler, there were absolutely things that rung true to me at different points in the book, but. As and I'm not someone who's been to Israel. My one trip to the Middle East, I had to make the choice based on countries I wanted to go to. Did I want to go to Syria or Israel? Because I knew one passport stamp would invalidate the other, right? So, mm-hmm. I, and actually, what, what worth noting, Sarah wrote another book later called Rolling Blackouts, Dispatches from Turkey, Syria, and Iraq. So at some point, a book worth reading. But my fundamental question is, what rang true from Sarah's experience in How to Understand Israel in Six Days or Less? Can yeah. you understand Israel in 60 days or less? Well, I think a, a couple things. I mean, I'd say the first is I went to Israel twice, once on this birthright March of the Living trip and once with mm-hmm. my family through our synagogue also mm-hmm. in high school. And both of those are, they're guided tours, right? So I think even near the end of the book where just feeling like, where am I comfortable going? Like, how do I explore? How do I have my own experience here versus what other people have provided? Like that felt natural to me, especially like I love traveling and just walking and exploring. And, and I didn't remember doing that in Israel, largely through like, oh, it's not safe or because well, you're you're on the bus, you're where they tell you to go. Exactly. The rules of like, don't go to that quarter, or d- don't take a taxi. And we weren't going to Ramallah. But like what Sarah's going through, like, I, I certainly relate to being a controlled type of environment. I'm very much on the left, but not like super into politics in the US. And I think Israel in some ways feels very similar. Like there's a lot of good, there's a lot of bad, and it's super complicated. And I have the same general conclusion that I've had since I was in high school, which is that like, at the end of the day, I believe Israel should exist and that all governments, I mean, US government included, like we're all doing a lot of good and a lot of bad. And so um, it's it's certainly not as black and white. And that was my takeaway. And so a lot of that at the end rang true for me that it's just, it's not that black and white. And it's not that Israel is just being, like, they send all their kids to the army at 18. It's like, it's a totally different culture and trade-offs. And I believe Israel should exist so that it it puts me onto a one direction right from the get-go. Well, what's interesting is, and someone a lot of us listen to, this guy Scott Galloway, talks about one of the issues beguiling America is there is no national service. And one of the characters in the book, uh, it's an Israeli, it's an American who did commit to Israel, and I don't know if you say perform, committed, Leah, to, I don't know if he's renouncing his American citizenship, but becoming a citizen of Israel, moving to Israel. And what he said was, like, America's all about the rat race, it's about kind of the old people running things, but Israel, partially because of that, like, everyone has to serve. It's a young person's country. And that was really interesting and appealing to me, something with what a lot of Galloway is saying, we're in a country that has, like, 70 and 80-year-old leaders. But at the same time, I don't know if that's true. It's like the on the ground, young, hip, Israeli, Tel Aviv, tech guy, their point of view isn't always fully aligned with the governments. And I mean, that's that's parallel to America. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of discourse in, in Israel. Jews are not known for being super <laughs> go with the flow and, and being in Israel is is no different. So, <laughs> Ryan, what about you? What rang true? I mean, so I mean, I'm not Jewish, obviously, and I don't have the connection to Israel that Sarah Glidden does, that Jonathan does. It's not my country. It will never be my country. What I, I guess what I was struck by the most is how Glidden's 
point of view was sort of constantly shaken because she does go in with this very, very defined point of view about how where she's she's probably a little bit she's more sympathetic to the Palestinians. And I won't say that she did a 180 at all, but she definitely left shaken and acknowledging that there are other points of view to the situations that she encounters that she didn't consider. And I think she leaves humbled. Uh, and that's what really struck me, the way her experience there. It wasn't like she had a massive epiphany, but it's just that over time, even as she was questioning things, even as she recognized things were propaganda, there was always sort of this question as to, well, why is that propaganda? Why has that been placed there? So she actually was really engaging in everything that she was seeing at an incredibly intense level. I actually kind of wondered how she wasn't exhausted every day. Well, she was. Yeah, she wasn't sleeping. Yeah, that's that's actually a good point. She, she was exhausted every day. And she did not have like a, a very relaxing uh, birthright tour versus like some of her, it seems like some of the the other Jewish Americans she was they, with. They, they went with the flow. They chill. kind of got yeah. caught up in it. They're like, yeah. let's go yeah, shopping. Yeah, yeah. And she's sitting there wrestling with everything. And even when she does go shopping, she's jarred at how, on the one hand, there's been incredible violence committed in this area. And now she's she's shopping for, I don't know, for, for lip balm or something like that. Yeah, there was one line where they say, wow, Israel must be really stressful for you to want to go to Istanbul to relax. <laughs> <laughs> like, I've been to Istanbul. You get off that plane, like, it is just go, go, go. It is not the relaxing vacation. Have either of you been to Istanbul? I, I don't know if that yeah, line comes out to me. It was funny. Yeah, it is. Uh, yeah, like Egypt, like India, Turkey is not a relaxing place. <laughs> this this book also, I know, really resonated with you, Raman, because you read it twice. So I'm just curious why. What 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 struck you? A lot of things did. Something you you said it was a humbling experience for her. I I think it was also, to use political terms, it was a moderating experience for her because she mm. is not the stereotypical like far left woke blah, blah, blah. But she is a pretty left-leaning progressive coming into this. She's a Jew in America, a somewhat secular Jew, dating a Muslim, um, living in New York City, all the stereotypical trappings, right? And she did her research. She read her New Yorker articles, et cetera, et cetera. And, and she's a graphic comic book artist, right? And uh, what really spoke to me, th there are three things that spoke to me. My fascination with cultures of conflict. Israel-Palestine, India-Pakistan, Alabama versus Ohio, <laughs> and East versus West, and, and wanting to interrogate that. I think we become better people when we interrogate other people's point of view. It's not about platforming things that are like baseless and wrong, but really digging in. And again, I'm arguably just as, if not more, progressively liberal than Sarah is. And her really wanting to dive in the, the first time it was moving, the second time I was really like looking for key details and those moments, those switches, those the breakdown that she had, because it's, mm. it's an exhausting trip. But but at the same time, her catching the I think I'm being manipulated here. They're taking like I've hiked up Mount Fuji as soon as I've landed in Japan. It is the most magical experience, but I'm sleep deprived. And so when they go up the mountain, it's like, I think the second or third day and she made it a point to read what really happened. That's something I tried to do when I went to Vietnam for the first time, when I went to the Middle East for the first time. And so there's a, there's a real relatability to it. And uh, it's just this interrogation to make yourself more moderate or centered, this brave. And I wish more people would do that. Because whether you're on the left or the right, you, you tend to think you're right all the time. And the only way to keep your fucking humble pie is to kind of go see the other side.
And and for her, the other side was Israel. What, one thing that struck me as well was, I, I think she talks about this, and John, I, I'm genuinely curious if you or any of your friends who, who have been back for similar tours, it's this, I don't, what is it called, Jerusalem fever or something? Or it's just like, you go and you're just so enraptured in the moment. Like, did you feel stirred when you were there? Did, did that happen for you? Because I don't think that's happened as much in my travels, but I've, even going back to India, it hasn't happened for me. It's a good question. You know, I do know people who've made Aliyah and moved there, and some folks even joined the army who also yeah. grew up with me in Cincinnati. So, you know, I, I think it is very much a real thing. You know, I don't think it, it happened for me necessarily, but I, I think it was one of my first like real international trips as like a adult enough to truly like remember and get into it. So I think I was more enamored with probably travel than I was with like Jerusalem in and of itself. But there's certainly some powerful things, especially after you go to a concentration camps and it's largely emotional and there's lots of people crying around you. And it's kind of mm -hmm. the equivalent of when you're freshman year and you get drunk with a bunch of people and then they're your best friends and you kind of I like, love you, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you go through this like, all right, everybody's crying. You have to you're sharing diary entries and all that stuff. And you know, it's hard not to wind up emotionally connected to the experience and, and the place. Yeah, that's actually what struck me. There was that speech that Sarah listened to, and she's cynical about it at first. It was the woman who was talking about why, I think, why they do the birthright tour, and we want you all to feel part of this country. And she's sort of like, God, how many times has she said this speech? She sounds so sincere. And then as she's processing it, she has, I think, her first breakdown. And because she actually really, I think, at that moment feels a part of the country, even despite having come in so jaded. And it was actually very interesting to see that because despite all of that armor that she came in with, it was torn down in that moment, even as she's sort of aware, hey, this is a speech that this woman gives over and over again. It had a tremendous, it had a tremendous impact on her. And to your point, Roman, about other countries not having something analogous to the birthright tour, it was interesting to me to see how this tour, at least through Sarah's eyes, was able to create this sense of unity among the Jewish diaspora where she hadn't felt it really before. Well, and I think this is something that Israel is uniquely equipped to do, even though it's a smaller... I, actually, I don't know what the the Jewish population is worldwide, but I think about India and China specifically, right? These, these two ascendant nations that have massive diasporas. There's a Chinatown in every major city in the world. The South Asian diaspora is everywhere, so much so that Modi, love him or hate him, has made actual overtures to the diaspora, increasingly now with the new prime minister in the UK. But it's this weird connection with the motherland because we're more removed versus like, I feel like with Israel, there's like a calling, there's a faith, there's the people, the historical persecution, etc. that's built in. Um, even even like, I don't think the Islamic faith can do that as much. I think parts of the Islamic faith can, right? The Palestine, Maybe Palestine. Sure. I, th I think where they're battling for their land, right? Like you think about China, yeah. they're not really battling for their land. <laughs> they, well, they, yeah, they, and, and it's the, the Taiwanese have not been there. exiled, right? And the, the only, the most interesting thing to the Zionist movement in the past few years, I've been studying a lot about the India-Pakistan partition. Israel was an idea. It was, it was a Zionist ideal. And um, that's what Pakistan was. It was we're Muslims in South Asia being discriminated and second-class citizen. We need our own space. The, Pakistan was an idea. And and so that, that was fulfilled around the exact time. Of the partition was pretty much at the exact time of the partition of Israel-Palestine when the British departed post-World War II. Same thing happened in, in, in India and Pakistan. And But you don't have this uh, the South Asian 
diaspora wanting to make pilgrimage back to Pakistan. Yeah, I mean, it is. I, I think it's a really good point. I never really thought of that way. And I think to, Ryan to double down, like it's, it's the, it's the, the land is under attack. Like there's a real chance that right. in, in 50 years, Israel doesn't exist. I think that also at the same time, Israel's like, it's small. You, you can go visit <laughs> it in a couple days and really see most of it and drive for an hour and you're there. It's like, you go visit India, you go visit China, you're not going to be able to do that in a 10 day period and really feel like you've gotten to know the culture and the people and the soldiers and uh, even the US, like you couldn't really understand the entire city. So I think it's also like Israel's very manageable in that, in that regard as well. And then, it's the size of Michigan. It's like it's slightly larger than New Jersey. Yeah. yeah. And I'd say the last piece too, is that Israel's also had a lot of wealth. So both in terms of who's supporting Israel and the country is wealthy. So like there's clearly a massive amount of money that goes into driving this tourism or driving these people from all over the world to come to Israel. And I'm not sure if that's happened with, with Pakistan or with different areas right. that might be similar right. that really like it costs a lot of money and has to be very intentional. I know South Korea, similarly in a very wealthy position, is doing a lot to both open Korean restaurants all across the world. And so it does take intentionality and finances to, to kind of do a lot of this. I mean, just to get a little bit of provocative, to talk about Palestine, just for a hot second, like something that's always frustrated me about the Palestinian situation is the wealth that exists in the surrounding countries that chooses to keep the Palestinian situation alive because it's an antagonistic like wedge issue and rallying cry versus they have the money to help these people directly. And maybe I'm missing something, but when I traveled the Middle East, and this was Syria, Jordan, and then the United Arab Emirates, and I'm, you read about, I mean, the World Cup in Qatar is about to happen, which is effectively bought, right? It's the amount of money that could solve these problems, but people are choosing not to. And it, maybe I'm missing something. Is it that, that Palestine is, is more effective to them as a tool? To Exactly. That's exactly okay. what it is, in my opinion. And again, things to, that will get Remen canceled one day. Just, tomorrow. Tomorrow, really. <laughs> today. It actually happened yesterday. It's not that I advocate for one thing or the other. It's just something I can't wrap my head around. Like, I, I can't... The, the, yes, there is a political solution. And I, I, that's where the disagreement is. But there's also a monetary solution. Oh, yeah. In my opinion. Yeah. Like, is there something political blocking that capital from getting to these people? Like, well, I don't get it. That, that was just the... You, you walk around Dubai and it makes Singapore and New York City just... We look like poppers by comparison. It's just like... Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I think the World Cup was a $200 billion budget. Yeah. What could that do to, in Ramallah, right? Yeah. I mean, uh, it's it's convenient to have somebody else fight your battles for you, and maybe that's the situation, right? You know, you said there's a monetary solution, but there's also sort of a, a monetary incentive there as well. Counter incentive, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, that's a rabbit <laughs> Once hole. Again, we're not talking about the comic book. <laughs> yeah, it's a well, it's a rabbit hole that <laughs> you don't want to go down too far, <laughs> or maybe you do. I don't know. I think you have to. No, I, I actually think you have to. I, th I think if you don't examine the issue, th again, this is what I really admire about Sarah in this book and her other book. She's interrogating something. She's interrogating her own beliefs by putting herself in a situation. And she's coming out the other side <sighs> better for it. Like, she isn't like a Zionist by the end of it. In fact, I don't think she has the answers by the end of it. No, um, I don't think she no. knows. I don't. I think she's still figuring it out. And who knows where she netted out? It's more than ten years later. But we should have her on the pod. Yeah, to read. 
You, you should invite her to Modern Minorities. <laughs> I should. Yeah, but I but actually I respect that. The fact that she she doesn't have the answers. I think maybe she probably comes out with just with with more questions and more uncertainty and mm-hmm. you have to respect that she's willing to accept that. To she's able to confront her own prejudices and she's able to accept the fact at least in that moment that she doesn't have all of the answers and the answers that she thought she had could very well be wrong. There's that moment at the end where she's talking to, I forgot the guy's name, and they have this disagreement in this cafe, and she's for a while Oh, furious. it's one of the former guides. It's one of the former right, guides. Right, at the right, end of the, right. And, and she has a count, countdown, and there's no resolution to that conflict yeah. between what he, he thinks and what, what she thinks. It's just there's this diametric opposition in this one area, and she has to make the decision to move on and not let that taint their relationship and she does she just kind of is like okay Agreed tell me about something else tell me yeah. about yeah tell me about yeah, something yeah. else yeah, there's also when she's talking to the old man while waiting for the bus mm. where he just said there's you have your young people and your idealism and as you get older you get hardened and you just agree to disagree that doesn't mean you don't have the conversation too which i think you know it's also like she's probably learning that there's this discord that's it's never going to go away and maybe it points to rum and your earlier point of it being this like younger country driven by people going into service and feel like they've earned a right to, to have an opinion and have the strength to to communicate it, which I, I also just think is interesting of in America, like, yeah, I guess we're learning to deal with this discord that becomes a harder and harder divide <laughs> by the day. It seems like I don't think anybody's comfortable and, and maybe that's a luxury that we haven't felt that quite as strongly until maybe the last couple of years. Well, and that's, again, something Galloway says a lot is like, what brings you together is when you have to serve together, right? Whether you're left or right, Midwest, West Coast, etc. John, a, a question for you. I mean, I know you're a couple life stages in, right? You're settled down, you're married, you have a house, you get the kids, etc. But has going back to Israel, like ever been like an inkling in your mind for you and your, your partner? Yeah, I think it's just a big world. And we've been lucky. We've had a means to go travel and go on trips. And so I think we've probably been, and these trips are hard to come by. We work a lot. You find like a couple weeks a year, maybe you go on a big trip. And sometimes you just want to sit on a beach somewhere. And sometimes you want to go explore somewhere new. And so I think, at least in our lives, you you cram as much as you can in like these types of trips and study abroad. And then like, maybe you get one international trip every <laughs> couple of years. And so I think we've prioritized going different places. We haven't been some to just get new All experience. Right, so, sorry. I, I was asking a very direct question. Would you ever move to Israel? Oh, would I move to Israel? No, I would go back to Israel. And I think it's, I should probably go, but I would not move there. No. Why not? I don't know. I mean, it's a very different life it's like it's like asking you would you move to india like would you move to germany and you're like well i mean i like germany, yeah, but that, that's but... a different that's a different question man because like i have not i mean i do speak german but like i have no cultural human connection to germany you could say would you move back to india but it's different man like i guess maybe the answer is i was born here but i feel no religious connection to india i feel no cultural connection to india those aren't this this won't get me canceled or maybe it will like I'm not Indian. You don't think you feel a cultural connection to India? Not as much as I should. I don't feel a cultural connection to China. 
at all. Yeah. And I, you know what? My mom's from, I mean, she was born in Hong Kong. I mean, obviously British Hong Kong, and she was raised there until she was five. And when she went back to China, she when she went to China, she said she felt no no connection to it. And honestly, different from you, John, Ryan and I settled down with people who are not of our like mother culture. Like Ryan is not with a Chinese American person. I am not with an Indian American person. So it's different. And, and again, this is where mm. Israel, the diaspora of Israel, it's a different calling. I'm not saying you should want to go back. It's just, I'm trying to understand why more people don't want to. I mean, again, especially when I look at like, we're an old country, but then I think that, I guess there's a lot of baggage to be inside of Israel. To hear a car explosion or to ride the bus is a more scary experience, but we've got guns here. My kids have to go to active shooter drills. What's worse? I don't yeah. know. I mean, uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, Ryan, I'm not sure your background, but like, you know, Roman, I mean, so I grew up in an environment where there were other Jews. Cincinnati actually mm-hmm. has a pretty high Jewish population. We went to Hebrew mm-hmm. school, had a community mm-hmm. of Jews. It was clear that people made families with other Jewish people. I mean, Roman, like, and I know plenty of Indian Americans who marry other Indian Americans or part of Indian American cultures. I mean, there's part of it that you were in Alabama with a with a, maybe a smaller Indian culture. Like, was yeah, that yeah. pressure not there? I think you and your sister both have non-Indian spouses. Is that, that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, was that just not important, but it is to others? Is it just the nature of your environment? I, I'm actually, I'm surprised, especially based on the books you read and then some of the like st- children's books you've read that you feel like, you know, way, to, way has... to put it back on me. <laughs> I'm, I'm surprised. <laughs> I am. I, again, it's, I feel like the, diff- the the unique thing about Israel in this world, to bring it to the book, is Israel, and even Judaism, it's not just a religion, it's a culture, it's a people, it's a calling, it's an idea. I don't think India is that. I mean, it is this bigger thing, but being Indian, I'm not Hindu, to to be clear, I was raised Hindu. My wife is Catholic, but I'm nothing, right? I don't have a faith, and I'm okay with that, right? Like, I do, mm-hmm. I do have faith in things, I just don't have a religious faith so that draw honestly hindu nationalism like nationalism's on the rise but hindu nationalism makes trump look like elizabeth warren it's just like uh, Oof. yeah it's uh, i'll say that proudly and i mean hassan minaj got into trouble for it like i don't think people are going to come after me for saying that i will edit that out ryan that's a good quote though <laughs> are you sure <laughs> like i I think it's different. I, I just feel like Israel is this thing that doesn't exist in the world that, that has had to be willed into existence. And India had to be willed into existence, but India existed before the British. And it just kind of came more together because of the British. But like Israel was, I mean, you read about it in this book, to bring it back to the book, like it was these people choosing after the horrors of the Holocaust or the ongoing horrors of the Holocaust. That's when they chose yep. to, to, to make it work. I mean, maybe to answer your question, I feel more pressure and, and desire to be part of the Jewish community here in America. Cause that's also mm. struggling and there's yeah. enough of attacks on that here that that's probably my pressure. Now I think if Israel really needed something, I think I would maybe think about it a different way. Like if they were mm-hmm. truly under attack or they needed, well, that's money or support in some other way. And that would make, I'd probably think about that. But I think that as I raise my family, it's more about being part of a Jewish culture and Jewish community here. Yeah. That makes uh. I mean, that makes sense to me. Right. I mean, like, I'm fundamentally American. I'm Chinese American, but I'm American. And this has been my home. And obviously, like China is very, very different from Israel. It's obviously much bigger. There's, it doesn't have the same, it's not constantly embattled the way it's Israel bigger is. bigger than Michigan. Yeah, it's a little bit bigger than Michigan. And, and there's the other issue of the, 
but there's multiple languages within China versus Israel. I think as Sarah Glidden mentioned, they they basically had to bring back Hebrew as a spoken language. They had. Yeah. To, I did not know that. Yeah, that which I didn't like, know. I yeah. didn't know that either. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that's crazy, right? I mean, the fact that, okay, not only are we creating this country right after the most horrific period in Jewish history, but we are also dragging this dead language back into the if living. If that's not willpower, I don't know what is. Right. Like, so yeah. do you understand why there is that sort of camaraderie and that desire to unite all of the Jews around the world? That doesn't exist with other countries. It's almost sort of like this, this desire and this need born out of this collective trauma. Can we talk about camels for a second? Yeah, talk about camels. Was so, it a dromedary camel or what's the one with the one hump? Oh no, that's the one with the, what's the one with the two humps that you rode, Jonathan? <laughs> I you've got you probably know more than I do. I have no idea. <laughs> it, it was such but a, I have a picture on at his, some point. Yeah. Well, no. So one yeah. when I went to uh, I guess I, I rode a camel in Morocco with my wife, but also in Syria with my buddy. And actually, no, in Syria, we didn't ride camels, but we went into the desert with the Bedouins. And I guess, so I've done the Bedouin thing like twice now in two different countries. And kind of cynical nature that Sarah had of it is, it was like a Native American theme park, right? It was this frustrating experience about this culture that was being washed away for profit. And it was really frustrating, but I, I think she made that observation or that parallel about how we're just as guilty of it in america it was basically like this moment of like indigenous commentary and it was really frustrating and i felt really guilty for having ridden a camel in morocco for having gone into wadi rum with the bedouins in in jordan i think it was yeah so it's just like yeah i don't know that that, that part really fucking bummed me out i mean so much of this book bummed me out and moved me but like that part just really i don't know I don't know what your camel experience was, John, but I feel really guilty for mine now. I I, I have I have no guilt, so I don't know what that says about me. But I think you're Jewish. You're supposed to feel guilty all the time. Yeah, my mother's not here. But I think we went to Thailand for our honeymoon, and I think you rode the elephants, and yeah. we did not ride the elephants, right? Because at that point, it was like oh, the elephants are chained up, and so I I see where you're coming from, and maybe it was just yeah. my level of wokeness and adulthood. Oh no, it wasn't even about the animals with the camels. It was more about like the theme parkness. Of the people, the Bedouin people, just yeah. the Native American people, et cetera. Yeah. Yeah, no guilt. Anyway. I don't know. <laughs> did you go to the Dead Sea and feel pain? Because I did in Jordan, and it was... Oh, is terrible. it really that bad? Like, like the way so the way Glidden mentions the Dead Sea, it is... Yeah, it's like a torture chamber, basically, so right? We went, with, with glass we, so, on the ground, and yeah. Two, two, days, two days prior to going to the Dead Sea, my buddy Will and I, this is in Jordan, we were in Wadi Rum in the Bedouin, with the Bedouins, hanging out, like hiking on rocks, like just like been hiking, chafing, cuts all over your body. And then we have the great idea to go to the Dead Sea. Oh, no. <laughs> not a not a pleasant experience for me at all. It's like bathing but, in Purell where it exposes yes. every little cut on your body. Pretty much. Yeah. Pretty much. I don't remember enjoying it. The funny story there was during my trip with my parents and we had this giant video camera right. going over your shoulder. And so my mom's recording the whole thing. As we go in, it's super unpleasant. We come out. She realizes she hadn't pressed record. So we had to reenact the whole thing so she could recapture it, of which <laughs> me and my two brothers were furious. So I have this like very vivid memories of like, that was not fun. <laughs> don't go in the Dead Sea. I don't know why, why anyone would. It's such a 
such a tourist. And the funny thing is, they're traveling with the Israeli soldiers and the thing, and they're like, they were they weren't dumb enough to go in, maybe because they had to go as kids. So here's the takeaways from this episode: Don't go into the Dead Sea. If you ride a camel, maybe you'll feel guilty. Maybe you won't. <laughs> What's the third? We need a third trinity. We need to round out the trifecta. Some some broad ranging conclusion about yeah. Israel Palestine. Right. The fact that we've solved the, the Let's issue. solve it. Let's yeah. solve it. We, right we here. Just, no, we just did. We just did. Just if you weren't if you didn't if you missed it, you weren't paying attention. <laughs> John, I want to ask you my my second to last favorite question, and then you can always ask Brian or me. Would you recommend this book to other people? You know, I didn't really enjoy reading it, so probably not. And <laughs> Why I'm, did you lead with that? And I've thought about it. I, I think it probably just hit too close. Like, it was very similar, like, like the same activities, same stuff. Mm-hmm. I thought the art was great. But after every chapter finished, I was like, is it is it done yet? And it wasn't. So maybe it just depends <laughs> who I'm talking to. You know what's funny? What's funny, John? Because you and I are close friends. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was actually going to send you Sarah Glidden's other book after this recording. But it's like four times the thickness of this one. Yeah, no, stick with a sci-fi recommendation for me. <laughs> <laughs> no, okay, other question, other question. Would you recommend this book to a non-Jew? Who isn't going to ever go on birthright? Who isn't ever going to understand Israel? Possibly. I mean, I think there's probably something there in people who are very blatantly pro-Palestine that, you know, I think they're also oversimplifying. And I I think this story obviously comes from a specific direction, but I think it does a good job of saying, like, this is really complicated and it's really deep-seated and it's a lot of different people and there's a culture that's fighting for its existence. And so there's a lot of anti-Zionism, pro-Palestine, anti-Israel, and I do wonder if this book could help in some of those conversations thread that needle yeah because i'm not right, an expert right i can't it, it's it's very hard to defend all that israel does because they do a lot of bad things just like i don't want to be on the hook to defend the u.s government and a lot of the stuff what we do but maybe this book would be helpful there ryan what about you yeah i'm actually with jonathan in that i respected the book a lot but i can't say i particularly enjoyed reading it you know the, okay so the thing about the book is that there's a lot of sort of you know, she like tells a story about Israeli history in a textbook fashion. And then you kind of have her thinking about it and interrogating it. And then she rinses and repeats. And so initially it's sort of interesting seeing her go through all of this, seeing her evolve, seeing her develop. But when you think of it like an entertaining read, something there needs to be some sort of drama and conflict. And, and that doesn't exist here. It's really more of a personal interior journey. Which is why I was sort of like, okay, I see what she's doing here. I respect that she's willing to confront all of this, but am I enjoying it? No. I was actually thinking of Arab of the Future. It was like going into the Dead Sea, it sounds like. Oh, I was thinking of Arab of the Future, which we've read on this podcast. And that's, again, it's a very incisive look growing up Arab in Lebanon and in Paris. But of course, he's sort of dramatizing aspects of his childhood and all of the weird and absurd things that happen along the way. And so that's much more propulsive. I can't say like Sarah Glidden's book, it's interesting, it's analytical, it's beautifully illustrated, but it's not like a propulsive read. It's not something that will just suck you in it. And I'm glad that it was only like 200 pages. Yeah. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> Amen. I actually want to look up the page count for her other read, just so you guys know what you're avoiding. <laughs> 
I do respect her as a cartoonist, as an artist, as a creator. It's just like, this isn't something that I just pick up and reading through it and be like, oh man, this is great. Wow. It's so funny. Like, I'm just going to answer my own question because like, with most comics, I, I binge it, unfortunately, over like one or two days before we record. And this one, I really paced out over four or five days and I found myself craving wanting to get back to it. So I don't know. I actually think the conflict and the propulsion was her own journey. And it was a slog and I appreciate it because it helped me understand. Again, I'm coming from where she was at the very front of the book. And upon two readings, like I think I, I don't want to say I understand Israel, but I understand the case for Israel more because of this having and it's not just because someone explained it to me it was because i saw someone go on the journey who was not a skeptic but uh, yeah she was a skeptic mm-hmm. yeah no i mean I, I i did appreciate that aspect of the book and i can't deny it, it had an impact on you that it didn't quite have on on me but again it's it's because i'm longing to move back to india that's yeah, that's really what it no is. doubt yeah. yeah you're gonna be modi's right hand man <laughs> <laughs> no, that's Rishi. That's Rishi. Okay. Oh, you'll you'll take over, Robin. It's all not after this podcast. This is a marketing gig. <laughs> this entire podcast is a liability. Let's just be clear. <laughs> all right, Robin. So I have to ask, what do we know what we're reading next week? Oh, such a hard question. Well, Ryan, if we enjoyed talking about the completely solvable conflict between the Israel and the Palestinian people, if we liked understanding the conflict between fascism and Germany, if we liked understanding whatever other shit that we read recently, I think the other conflict that we just have to address on this podcast is that between humans and robots. Oh, yeah. I've always been wondering about that. Who would win? Next week, we are reading Not All Robots by Mark Russell. Mark Russell, you might remember as... The contrarian comic book creator who's done great works like The Flintstones, which is a lot more subversive than you would think. And he turns his eye on the future of AI, the future of robots and humanity, which is not too far off. So Not All Robots by Mark Russell. It's the one conflict we are going to solve on this podcast, right? All right. The future of AI, the future of ad tech. Here we come. John, we'll have to find oh, another book that, that we can all be uncomfortable about to, to get you. Or, or we'll just stick to the superhero shtick and fair for, for the next one. Thanks he's for like, having he's me, guys. Like, he's like, why didn't you invite me to, to Not All Robots? Why do I have to read about like a birthright tour that I already went on? <laughs> Literally, it's journal entry. <laughs> no, it's fine. This is a good one. I can send it to my mom. She'll appreciate it. Yeah, your mom will appreciate it. That's... <laughs> A podcast for your John Kreiner, Defender of Israel, <laughs> next week on Quarantine Topics. And that's our show. Like what you heard? Be sure to share with a friend, subscribe, and leave us a review wherever you get your favorite podcasts. See lots of pretty pictures of the books we read at qtdcomics.com. And since we're sure no one's listening, prove us otherwise. Shoot an email over to say what I got right and what Ryan got wrong. qtdcomics at gmail.com. Give you a social media handle, but we're old, and that feels like too much work. I'm Roman Segel. And I am and have always been Ryan Joe. One second, please. Please, Mr. Kennedy. Oh, oh. I don't want to go. Don't shoot me in the outer space. Oh, please, Mr. Kennedy. Oh, oh. I 